0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. So a few months ago, a friend of mine came over for dinner, and I was talking about how I struggle with social media, how I delete the apps from my phone, and they somehow get reinstalled and things like that. And he told me, and this is someone who has worked in tech for a very long time, including in some social companies, that he recently decided that was it. He was done. He was done fighting the algorithms of Facebook and Instagram and so on. So he went onto these websites, he changed his password to a series of random numbers that he wrote down and put into an email address, a completely new email address that he created. He put all these passwords in there and then he created a new password for this new random email address. There's a series of about 30 letters and numbers, which he then wrote down on a piece of paper and hid inside his house. So if he ever wants to go back to social media, which he doesn't, but just to ensure that he won't, he has to go through this escape room like experience to go find the password and re-enter them and everything. The thing that's really amazing about this story is not that we all want to quit social media, but it is the lens that we have to go to to try to quit. And the reason for that is because there are algorithms in these platforms that are trying to get inside your soul. So my guest today is not the friend who quit social media, but it is someone who is trying to lead the charge in Silicon Valley to help people understand how these algorithms are essentially becoming drugs and destroying their lives and how you can fight back against them. And at the same time, he is trying to convince Silicon Valley engineers and people like Mark Zuckerberg and folks at Google and Twitter and elsewhere to start to think more ethically about the role that they play in the way these social media apps essentially just fuck with our brains so his name is Tristan Harris and he has been called by the Atlantic as the closest thing to Silicon Valley has to a conscience he spent years at Google as a design ethicist and developed a framework of how we should essentially ethically create technologies that are seen on billions of people's screens and I'm really excited to welcome him to the show today Tristan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, so you are—you're uh, the what's what's your name these days? What's your title? Is it like say, Superman, anti-tech, save the world person? Like what is it? <laughs> oh,
1: the thing that always goes around is people have called me the moral conscience of Silicon Valley.
0: The moral conscience of Silicon—that's not a—that's not a. I mean, there is not I mean, a lot not, of that's moral not what conscience. I call myself, what do you but, call
1: yourself? Uh, well, we started this thing called the Center for Humane Technology, and that's how I think of what we're doing. But I used to be a design ethicist at Google where I was studying how do you ethically
0: shape or steer or manipulate 2 billion people's thoughts. Okay, so uh, before we get to, to the moral compass of Silicon Valley, because I don't think there are a lot of morals in Silicon Valley, so this will be uh, a good thing for us to address, But um, yeah. uh, and uh, the 2 billion uh, thoughts on Google um, – you So you you started this thing, but you, that's not what you started out. You started out as a tech person. We actually met we over actually, a decade ago. That's right. As a, I was a tech entrepreneur.
1: I was 22. I had dropped out of my master's degree at Stanford and started a tech company that sold its products to people like the New York Times and Washington Post and Economist. And we were actually in the game of trying to build – you know, tech, we, you know, we succeeded. We, we uh, uh, later sold our company, Apsure, to Google. Uh, so I, I come from a perspective of understanding how it works to be an entrepreneur. And my friends started Instagram and all the, you know, we were early at many of the successful tech companies. Um, and it's through that lens that I think I come from a very grounded place about what it would take for us to fix all this
0: stuff. So, and all the stuff is the fact that you think that the world that we live in today and i do agree with you but uh, but i want to hear it from from your from the marletus this, this mouth that we're building technologies that are going to destroy the planet or that it's just, is it is it that extreme or is it is it to another length of oh um, people are kind of wasting their time on instagram and things like that
1: no the wasting time thing it's really unfortunate with this phrase time well spent which you know was a name for an advocacy group that we were sort of was the vehicle for this work for a while because it made people think that The problem is people aren't spending their time well. And that's not at all what it's about. It's about we have one instrument to navigate the world. And that instrument is our mind. That's it. And um, can you screw up a human mind? Can you pull on so many of its psychological levers that it can't tell what's real from what's not real anymore, what's true from what's not true, or pull on its social validation, its social approval, or social reciprocity? If you pull enough of those levers, you can completely inhibit a human mind from being a functioning instrument to either navigate freely or to know or to think freely um, or to not be subject to, you know, uh, abuse from third parties or even foreign actors like Russia.
0: So, but isn't that essentially what Instagram, Google, Facebook, Twitter, all of these things are doing? The algorithm is designed to to make you click and yep. it is designed to essentially fuck with you. Uh, you know, I, I it's funny, I was just... Uh, I deleted everything from my phone as a lot of people I know have done late, lately. And I still am logged. I'm not logged in on Facebook on my computer because um, I don't trust them to, and I never have, it's a new computer I've never logged in on uh, with them and I won't because I don't want them to follow me on there. But I, I still am logged in on the mobile app um, on the mobile website, sorry, on my phone. Mm-hmm. And a couple of weeks ago I you know I was still able and I do that because some people message me once in a while for, through work stuff yep. and I went to go and check my messages the other day and it now says that they won't let me see the message unless I download Messenger and I was like no fucking way I'm downloading Messenger on your phone or on the desktop? on my phone on your phone yeah they will not let you it's yeah, like you have to download Messenger now yeah, yeah. so
1: well, that's a good example of these are all persuasive techniques. It's like, oh, you want this? Well, to have that, you have to do this other thing that I want you to do. And so they're pairing your reasons with their reasons, and they're making it impossible to separate. But but to your point, so yes, all of these companies, as at the point I've been trying to make for five years, are caught in this, uh, you know, it's not maliciously intentional. It's not evil. It's just that their business model is capturing attention. And so it started with, how can we throw some persuasive techniques at people's minds to get their attention? And that worked pretty well. And then now you have this AI arms race where YouTube is throwing its AIs at people's brains and saying, how can I most make you forget the reason why you came here and instead make you do what I want you to do, which is watch these other videos? Um, Or Facebook says, how can I most make you forget why you came here and make you keep scrolling for as long as possible? And with AIs, when we know how AIs work, they're, they're seeing more moves ahead on the chessboard. Then we can see. And that's why when we land there, we think, oh, no, this time I'm just going to watch this one video. And next thing I know, I wake up out of a trance an hour and a half later and like, what the hell happened? It's because it was playing chess against our mind and it was beating us and we didn't even notice.
0: But isn't the only way for humans to win
1: that game is not to play it? Right. Which is also speaks to we we need to design this entire stack differently. And that's what we're trying to do. We're basically saying this is an unsustainable uh, existential threat to our capacity to, to solve any problem. Like a society's capacity to solve its problems is its ability to reflect on what's important and to sustain its attention on those things and to change things. And we can't do that in this world where we have too many things eating away at our attention.
0: Do you think that technology is um, is in- inherently does these things where it no. creates bad? No. no, you don't think it. No, ph- Photoshop. No, we we're never worried about Photoshop. Like, oh my god, the kids these days—they're well, ruining. It's things... ruining society. They're lonely. It we was, The Secret Service was worried about. You know, they they made them add software that would make it so you couldn't, you know, scan dollar bills and things like that. I mean, there are sure. some worries, but oh, of course, yeah, but not like
1: civilization-threatening or fabric of society-threatening consequences. Got like, if you give kids a bicycle or a paintbrush or. Um, you know, a pencil, you don't say, oh my God, we're going to ruin kids, you know, dopamine receptors and make them feel false social obligation and make them send, you know, make them feel less than enough and have beautification filters. I mean, none of that existed with basic tools like a bicycle. So there's something different that's going on. Specifically, there's, this is actually really important because the industry, and I know specifically there are um, C-level executives at some of the major tech companies who to this day believe that there's, this is nothing new We've always been worried about media. We've always been worried about technology and what the kids are going to do these days. And um, we worried about newspapers. People aren't going to talk to each other, and and they let that excuse. Um, get in the way of of realizing we need to make dramatic and immediate changes. So let's talk about there's four distinct things that are completely new. So the first thing is that um, we have technology that is totally intimate to our lives, meaning from the moment we go to bed at night and we set our alarm to the moment we wake up in the morning and we undo our alarm with our phone, we are jacked into an environment. We check our phones 150 times a day. And so we had this intimate access that was never before true. With computers even, we, we use them as occasional devices that we accessed, not we live by them moment to moment checking 150 times a day. So that's the first thing, is intimate access. The second is social intermediation, the fact that it actually has changed and taken the place of how we communicate with every single person in our lives. Um, TV didn't do that. Radio didn't do that. Um, you know, TV didn't, when you turn it on in the morning, show you photo after photo after photo of your friends
0: having fun without you. That's a good job, because I would have probably been a really sad teenager if it had. Right, and yet now we've subjected— Oh, I can't even comprehend how you're a teenager today. we
1: We have subjected hundreds of millions of teenagers to total psychological terrorism and abuse. Um, fear of missing out, social validation. And it's also not done accidentally. It's also done
0: by design well, so, in some cases. So this is the, th- the question that I have is is you know – and I know these folks, but you know them really, really well, have worked alongside them. Are they – do they just not care? Is it that they don't think that they're doing something bad? Or are, they, are they just unethical? Like what is it? Well, these are all really good people who are
1: um, – you know, have a belief system that justifies what they're doing, and they can look at the positive sides. There's the Me Too movement, there's people connecting with each other, having 10,000 fans on Instagram, and they walk down the street and someone says hi to them, and they can become famous at an early age. And there's these positive things. But I think what we have to get used to is the incentives of the people who make this technology are not aligned with the goals of society. This is an extraction based model. Um, the business model of of advertising or attention is i want to extract attention from your life from every part of your life whether that attention used to exist between a parent and a child or you and your sleep or you and self-reflection my job as a business is to suck the attention out of all those places and private privately profit off of that and then publicly harm right so the the Mental health, loneliness, externalities don't show up on the balance sheets of tech companies. Public polarization, election manipulation never shows up on the balance of of tech companies. Um, The costs on attention and cognition and feeling stressed and anxious and, um, you know... uh, fearful all the time doesn't show up on the balance sheets of companies I'm feeling
0: stressed and anxious right now talking to you <laughs>
1: <laughs> well so that's that's one of our projects is that just like any open loop system you have to say what's the true cost of free so actually one of our projects um, with the Center for Human Technologies we're building a ledger of externalities a ledger of harms of what are all those things that are showing up on the balance sheets of society that are pushed onto society from tech but that are basically coming from the
0: extraction model of, of technology companies so when you look at, um, when you talk about all those things, so, okay, so I, I'll, I'll tell you a little, a little story. I have a, um, a friend, uh, you probably know the person, I won't say their name, uh, she's a was a, a big exec in uh, tech media and tech and uh, recently uh, just left the company and was telling me, I, I said, are you still on social media? And they said, N- I'm off everything. And I was like, well, like, how did you, what did you do? And they said um, uh, that they, Deleted all the apps from their phone, they they changed their password for every single app to a series of random numbers, which they wrote down in an email, created a brand new email address, <laughs> which they sent to that email address. The brand new email address is a fifty-character right. random series of numbers for that email address, which is written on a piece of paper, stored away in a storage so it's like closet. Mul-
1: multiple layers of Ulysses contracts. Ulysses tying his hands behind the mast, and except there's multiple layers of
0: that. It's multiple layers of that, and and it's funny because I when he told me that I wasn't like, oh, that's crazy. I was like, oh, that's how you do it because. I go. Th- I mean, look. I don't use Instagram. I just literally find nothing appealing about it whatsoever. I used to in the early days. I barely ever go to Facebook unless it's something for work. Um, Twitter and I are in a abusive relationship where it abuses me when I log in and I log out every few days and uh, but feel the need to kind of know what's going on and 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 I and I feel like the only way you can win is to not play and right. and. and how do you i understand what you're saying about you can fix it but how can you fix it well so um the fixing isn't about how we use
1: adversarial technologies these are all adversarial technologies right i mean you have hundreds of engineers on the other side of the screen whose job is to defeat your agency and to make you to do what they want you to do um so we don't want to use you know have healthy use of adversarial technologies that are all meant to defeat your your self control your well-being all this kind of stuff so the answer is you have to change it. You have to change it from the ground up. You have to change it from the
0: app side and the product side? No, or No, this, the... this
1: isn't like Barbara's Organic Food Store of cool apps that are better for you. This okay. is like, let's change it from the home screens, from notifications, rebuilding like the city from the ground up. Think of this like a city. So we're jacked into an environment that we basically live inside of 24-7, when we check our phones 150 times a day. Um, and what we need to do is change the urban planning. And there's a difference between an urban plan like L.A., where we are, um, which theoretically is built for people but is actually built around cars in the same way that the iPhone today is kind of built around apps versus a city like or urban plan more like Jane Jacobs' idea of New York and the livable cities movement where we can design it to be around the contours and shapes of what it means to be human, like walking stoops, sidewalk stoops, uh, you know, eyes on the street, things like that. So we want to reorganize the actual content of the city. So on, on a home screen on a phone, it's like an, ur- it's like an urban plan. And right now, it's like no zoning laws, no building codes. Everyone's like, build a casino on the front door. So the second you open up your mind, you open up your eyes, you're jacked into a bunch of casinos. And that is not healthy. And but, there's a different way to design it where that's not how the urban plan works.
0: But, okay, but there are billions of people on the internet. Yep. There are a billion-plus people with smartphones. Yeah. are walking straight into that casino every day. There are – I mean, look – just last week, Facebook—you know—this month alone, Facebook sat in front of Congress, talked. You know, Zuckerberg talked about all these ways in which they track you and do all these crazy things and know all these insane things about you that most people don't know. And yet, for their for their quarterly earning r- report, they added seventy million new users and their daily actives are up X amount. And yep. and the, so the I guess the two questions are how do you get people out of the casino b and b and c sorry a and b or whatever is if you wanted to redesign L- la as a city doesn't necessarily work for the number of cars that exists today if you want right. to get past the famous 405 like it's there's no way for them to right. to fix that how do you fix this system where billions of people are using it in constant
1: so how long would it take apple or google to change how home screens and notifications
0: work. It would not change them it would not change them it would would it would probably take an engineer an afternoon, but maybe even less than an afternoon coffee. But does Google and Apple want you to use the device that they need to sell you and engage with you and th- their stock is driven based on how much people use it? Do they well, want to do that? That's the thing is this is just
1: like you know, did people want Whole Foods until there was a decade and a half of kind of public awareness about how bad our industrial food supply had gotten, right? So I think that what we're trying to do is create a cultural awakening. We don't use the phrase raise awareness because it's not raising awareness. This is more like cigarettes where we were with cigarettes totally infatuated with this thing. It was totally great. And then we made a total cultural 180. We went from saying this is totally great and normal and we do it with each other to, whoa, completely the opposite sort of view and i don't mean that that's how we're going to see phones as cigarettes i just mean that our our relationship to seeing all this stuff has to move from being infatuated with it to seeing this is all adversarial and bad for society more of our unsustainable we can't actually sustain ourselves with this so that's the first uh, uh change And I actually forgot the thing that you just said right before that.
0: Uh, uh, I was talking about how um, it's it's a a, oh it's okay. So so So
1: yeah, my point is that Apple. If you told someone four years ago, "Do you want a phone that helps you use it less?" before they understood this problem, this is what I tried to do within Google. So let me give you my background. I, I made this presentation in 2013, warning everybody at Google that we are manipulating people's cognitive biases. We are exploiting the deepest human instincts in how they use technology. And we have a responsibility, a moral responsibility to fix it. Now, when I tried to walk into the Android team and the Chrome team and said, hey, can we design these things in a way that protects people's minds and change how notifications work and change how home screens work, it would never get prioritized because consumers didn't, quote-unquote, want it. But that's just because they didn't understand. And now we're at a point where the world is finally waking up to this thing. We're at about a one-year anniversary of 60 Minutes. I was on 60 Minutes a year ago, and we talked about brain hacking. And we said, basically... This entire game is who's better at getting your attention, which means who's better at you know racing down your brainstem to to play deeper and deeper tricks. First, it was your behavior. Now I have to actually do instead of behavior modification, I have to do identity modification and belief modification. I have to go down deep into your sense of self approval, and and actually to hijack your your way of knowing that you feel like you're enough as a teenager by connecting that to the number of likes you got. So we, are, we had to kind of expose this conversation for what it is, just like the tobacco thing. 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes, you know, there was the insider talking about what the tobacco was doing. This is that for technology, except it's not one bad company. It's a model. It's a business model. That's the tobacco ingredient. And that business model is the advertising model. It's the most pernicious and corrosive business model that it gives us the illusion of something that is free while costing us everything. And that's what we're basically meant—you know—going out there to change.
0: So, do you is your so fa- is your goal to take Facebook for example and try to give them a, a roadmap to do things differently, or is Facebook a lost cause and it's more the the actual apps? I mean, the the the, the OS on your phone and things like that. Um, it's unfortunately, it requires a, a
1: coordinated redesign among all the actors. Um, it takes Apple and Google doing some different stuff at the device level, and it takes the media, the social media and other companies doing different things within
0: the app level. Okay, so I completely understand that. And and it's, it, it, it like communism, it's fantastic on paper. However. Right. How are you th- going to do it? Well, no, I mean, look at, I, I don't want to, I know you're friends with these people, so I don't necessarily, I'm not I'm trying to get you to talk shit about them, But but Mark Zuckerberg, for example, wants to, Rule the world in, in, and they want to defend their very
1: profitable business model, they don't yeah. want to get off advertising.
0: So, what, so, how, what's, ince- what, what is the incentive for Mark if he goes before Congress, you know, is accused of X, Y, and Z, uh, admits to the fact that, that they have this advertising system in place that literally knows more about you than you know about yourself, correct? Uh, and yet revenue's up, user numbers are up, right?
1: And it's because people don't have. Frankly, we're not armed with the right cultural counter-arguments. Because when I say the advertising model is a problem, I'll tell you what the Facebook engineers will say. They'll say, look, people like the ads. They like the rectangles. They like, you know, if you give someone a copy of Vanity Fair with the ads versus without the ads, they probably prefer it with the ads. Therefore, why would people pay to have Facebook without the ads? sounds very convincing, doesn't it? Mm They really refine their arguments. Um, It's total." It's not you true. curse on here. It's totally <laughs> yeah, right. fine. We're uh, it, it, we're it a is, cursing family here. It is Andy not. Bear. It is not true. I mean, this is um, this also isn't a philosophical conversation. This is a really serious conversation. So it's important we really understand what's at stake. Um, the problem with the advertising model isn't the ads. It's not the rectangle. It's the fact you have automated systems that are pointing predatorily at the human brain and saying. How can I most exploit your deepest weaknesses, right? So the fact, let me give you an example. There's this sort of urban legend right now that I was just talking to you over lunch about some new brand of shoes that I like. And next thing I know, open up my Facebook news feed. And those shoes are showing up at the top of my feed. Holy shit. Yep. Right. So this thing must have been listening on the microphone. Yep. Except here's the deal. It actually is not listening on the microphone. What's it doing? This speaks to what we're talking about. The advertising model is not that the ad shows up. How does it know what shoes to show up there? It's using AI, meaning it doesn't even have to listen to your microphone because the prediction is so good that it only has to know who you tend to talk to, what kind of person you are, what demographics, you know, clusters you fit into. And it knows exactly what to put at the top of your newsfeed. And you only notice and get that paranoia when you happen to have just talked about it in your conversations, which is why... That's scarier than the microphone listening in. (laughs) Right. And that's what people should be focused on, is the fact that this is the daily life that you... This is our daily lives, you open up Facebook newsfeed, you're activating an AI pointed at your brain to prey on your deepest psychological instincts. They had that study in Australia where they claim to sell advertisers in, in, in Australia on the fact that they know when teens feel low self-esteem, feel anxious, feel, feel you know... This is Facebook. This is Facebook, yeah. And and the thing is, it's, it's worse than that. They're going to know... They're going to know when people are depressed. They're going to know
0: when you're about to leave a relationship. They're going to know when you're open to changing who your voting preferences are. They can manipulate how if you're depressed and if you're not based on the things they yeah. show you in the newsfeed. Knowing
1: that you're depressed, I could start your newsfeed with photo after photo of your, your ex-romantic partners
0: um, smiling with some, someone else.
1: And I then, could do but, that if I okay. Wanted. Now,
0: so what is to stop Facebook or another company? Because I don't believe that there is. I I think that I'm sure that the someone on the ad sales team has pitched this idea already. But what is to stop them from, you know, from presenting you with those things to make you depressed, and then to pushing uh, some sort of ad for, uh, you know, antidepressants or something like that that it, you then see, which you then click on because you're you're feeling sad, and therefore they get more clicks on the ads. So they would claim that that would not be in their long-term business interest, that
1: if they do that kind of thing for long enough, people would burn out of Facebook and not use the product. But, you know, I frankly—the answer really is that there's nothing that stops them from doing that. There's nothing that stops them from tipping the scales in any election and saying, hey, you know, they have this feature that's called the get-out-the-vote feature, which shows when people have, around you have voted and you can mark that you voted. They apparently said that that increases voting rates by 0.24%, Right. So now, what's to stop them from using that feature uh, with certain people, with certain political party biases, and not with others? There's no way. There's no accountability. They have more power than any world government. Yep. And no one is holding them accountable except for Wall Street, which basically says, are you better and better at manipulating people's minds or not? Every quarter.
0: And you truly do believe that you can change this?
1: Yes. Because we have to. Because if we if we um, had to live in this, we're all gone anyway. So— and, and, and when, here's here's the optimism. When you understand how dangerous a threat this poses to society, there's actually no human being who wants to live in that society. Um, if I showed you where this is going to go for children and how this is going to affect kids growing up well, and these us, people show us. Well, no. I mean, we can we can talk about that, but I just mean when people understand where this is all going, that we're basically talking about a business model which incentivizes the shredding of truth, so people don't agree on what's true. Because I do better when to get your attention if I personalize your feed and personalize someone else's feeds, and if they have different facts and different truth, I get more attention that way. Um, if I, I do better when I uproot kids' self worth and I make them you know hooked and have these these um, beautification filters or like these f- funny anime type things on them that make them feel. Um, like they have to sort of pretty themselves up, um, that world we, no one wants to live in. And the the fastest route to changing this, the, the reason why I'm optimistic is that, um, it's almost like, do you believe in Anakin Skywalker that you can sort of find the good in them? I mean, I think the tech engineers actually all, everyone I know, and you know as well, they have good intentions. They're good people who think that they're making a positive impact. They've been sold this narrative that we're about making the world more open and connected in the case of Facebook or the platform for free speech. And these were really attractive narratives. And when you see that the business model that drives those things is completely not that, in fact, the business model arguably makes the world more closed and disconnected that, you know, no one wants that. And, and I think that's the fastest lever for change because it's really hard to sustain your business model. If you can't hire and retain the best talent, and that's already been happening. There's a lot of people leaving these companies because they don't feel good. And this is also what changed Uber, by the way. Where Where are these people going?
0: Uh, I don't know. Are they Are they going from? Yeah, I mean, are they going from one social media company? Yeah, to Yeah. Or are they you know starting nonprofits? Or are they you know trying to do things that are? I think that there is the reality is, and this is not meant as any disrespect, but no. there are very few companies in Silicon Valley that are actually legitimately doing good good. and those ones you don't hear about because they're too focused on doing good to try to get themselves in business inside or or whatever uh so uh, it seems it's you know there's the famous quote you know that the bright brightest minds of my generation are trying to figure out how to get you to click on ads better like what are people in the valley doing that is good and is better when they leave these companies well, not that much, and I think this actually speaks to the regulation conversation because
1: part of the honest truth is that we have some monopolies that constrain competition. They've actually inhibited innovation uh, and growth, um, and that we might actually have to have a conversation about opening
0: opening up those channels so that they don't control the cost of customer acquisition. Um, the, but th- those companies, and when I speak to people in Silicon Valley about this, those companies are, um, you know, Facebook. I truly do believe wants to be regulated because it ensures that no one else can ever grow to the size of Facebook. You know, uh, Zuck and company, uh, bent and broke and got around so many rules because the people that do run our government, whether it's a democratic government or a Republican government have no earthly fucking idea how technology works. I mean, if you, those questions for Zuck at Congress, I mean, we're, borderline embarrassed. I mean, no, they were past embarrassing in my opinion. Uh, there were maybe two or three senators actually asked intelligent questions and Zuck didn't even answer those. Um, and and I I don't understand, you know, and I think that what Facebook knows is if they get regulated, it ensures that no one else can do the things they did. It to- depends on how
1: they're regulated. I mean, the the 1956 AT&T consent decree basically uh, created the internet, created, created like the, sil- the modern Silicon Valley because mm-hmm. it enabled the transistor and a bunch of patents to get you know, pushed out, and then it, it restricted AT and to not go into certain kinds of businesses, and that basically helped open up the innovation of Silicon Valley. Yeah, and I think there's different moves like that that we're trying to figure out now. What is that going to look like? That's going to open up innovation because then there's a place for those tech employees to go, where they can actually focus on what's doing
0: good. Are you, uh, is your group um, trying to talk to people in Congress and so on? Yeah, we were involved in briefing the
1: members of, major members of Congress on um, both the House and the Senate side before the Russia investigations
0: in November 1st, those hearings with the yep. three major tech platforms. Yep. Um, and I think... Did you get the impression when you were briefing them, and I, I um, and I know a lot of it's just A's and things like that, but did you get the intention uh, the, the, that they... Recognized how serious this was, or was it much more? I think in
1: the process of we're of our educating them and being or serving as a resource for them. Um, you know, prior to that, I think there was a lot of preferencing of, you know, secret cables and signals intelligence and that kind of stuff on Russia. Right? It's like let's look at all of our special tools, and there wasn't as much a focus on the social media platforms because that's not the area that everybody understands. But when we kind of showed that this is what you can use to create a culture war, that that these feeds automatically preference negative emotions, outrage, fear, Uh, they spread faster and work better at being at the top of people's feeds on the other side. That was new for, you know, the, the folks that we were talking to. So I actually think we had a dramatic impact Um, in educating members of Congress and how those hearings went. Senator Blumenthal wrote that letter to uh, Facebook saying, you need to notify everybody who is affected by Russian propaganda. By hauling them to Congress, we actually got the real numbers out of them. Keep in mind, you cannot trust these companies to self-regulate. If you asked Facebook how many people were affected by Russian propaganda, they said, oh, I don't know, a million or two. And they didn't actually reveal the actual number, 126 million, which is 90% of the U.S. voting population, until we hauled them to Congress. And you got to do that. Because that's why I'm actually optimistic, because it's not necessarily about getting all the right regulation. It's about creating the pressure that forces the companies to change. And each time you bring them to Congress or you bring them to the EU, um, it forces them to answer certain questions, to create policies. And yeah, they're always going to do less than what they should. But the pressure, the counter pressure is what's been even
0: creating some of the changes that we've seen today. date. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. So if you listen to this podcast like me, probably don't get a lot of sleep. You're worrying about alien invasions and AI taking over the world. But the folks at Mattress Firm want to help. So Mattress Firm, aka America's Neighborhood Mattress Store, can help you stretch your budget a little further when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. The folks at Mattress Firm are mattress experts, yes, experts, and they're not just mattress experts in explaining mattresses, but they can help you build your bed from headboard to adjustable bases to sheets. They even have beautiful bedroom decor. They've got you covered literally and figuratively. So the experts at Mattress Firm are so worried about the the sleep of people who listen to this podcast because we're always talking about the apocalypse and all the bad things that are happening in the world, that they want to offer a special discount just for you. All you need to do is go to mattressfirm.com and you'll save 10% with the code PODCAST10. That's PODCAST10, number P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0, and you can save 10% on your favorite mattress all the stuff that they offer. Mattress Firm offers a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so that you know the thing you paid for is perfect for you and you will sleep like a little baby. Once again, go to mattressfirm.com and enter that code PODCAST10 to get 10% off your mattress. So, uh, around the time that Zuck went to Congress, uh, the EU actually asked him to go there too, and he said no. Do you think that that's going to backfire on him, and that that they could they could enforce? When was this?
1: Was this recently?
0: This was um, right before. uh, Right before, I think it was Theresa May had asked or something, and Mm -hmm. uh, it was right. Just went there, I think yesterday. Right? Uh, Yeah. For the CTO, and um, but it seems that that you know America Americans are. Uh, a little bit more lackadaisical around this, and and Europe is not because Europe really experienced the wars, World War One, World War Two, and so on and so forth, especially in Germany and, and yep. England, and it f- seems like they have a lot less patience there. Do you think that that could be one of the things that could lead to some sort of change in social media?
1: Yeah, I do think so, and I think that will increase over the next few months. I think that the EU will get more aggressive. Um, I also think, you know, I think the U.S. Congress will get more aggressive. All it's going to take is simply showing. The truth here right i mean the truth is this business model of having ai's push thoughts into two billion people's brains um without any accountability except whatever works the best is causing genocides in burma right mm-hmm. in languages that the engineers don't even speak is manipulating and making vulnerable all these democracies around the world creating instability and culture wars um there's no one who wants that except Certain people who are trying to get that to happen, but no no like regular set of citizens wants that world. No one wants a world where their kids are hooked and they can't do their homework and don't have attention.
0: but don't people have this thought that oh well i get to I get to keep track of my kids while they're on the internet, or I get to send pictures of my cappuccino to my friends on instagram ah, it's okay if a few. People in Burma, you know, end up killed in some sort of riot. I mean, isn't that—I mean, you saw the, the famous post by Boz by at Facebook, which was like, you know, connecting we're the connecting at the world at any cost, and any cost. some people get killed as a result. Like, that's just the—that's the, the cost.
1: Yeah, and I think that should reveal why this is such a huge problem and needs such change, meaning I don't think you can trust the culture— of these companies, if that's the thing that they're saying. I mean, would you trust someone who's a parent or someone who's, you know, a teacher at your kid's school who said that, that, you know, our goal is to do something at any cost, including when that cost is known to create genocides in foreign cultures, that real people's lives are at stake? I mean, there's certain things you can't, you can't, you know, choose, right? I mean, if you build, I've got a suitcase roller bag here, I'm sure there's a suitcase roller bag has... At some point in someone's history, when someone who invented that thing never thought that it would cause someone to die at some point in history, right? You can't prevent everything, but in this case, we know it's because of a business model. It's because of this system that says what put to the top of people's feeds the thing that gets the most clicks or the most shares, and that has been leading to conspiracy theories getting spread, to fake news getting spread. That's causing genocides around the world. So we have to change this.
0: So, you do you still use social media? Uh, I use it occasionally. What do you What do you use?
1: Uh, Facebook and Twitter specifically to get out information about what,
0: what we're doing and what needs to happen. Do you like put on a cloak before you log on to Facebook and say you will not get me I'm not gonna click on the thing on the top of my screen or or do you how do you use it? Um, I use it pretty
1: normally and I'm you know more aware than probably most people on earth of, of exactly how it manipulates people's psychology and it still manipulates my own. Um, you know if you're a chimpanzee you don't get to choose whether a banana seems appealing like yeah. you're inside of the mind body meat suit with the evolutionary instincts which will drive you to want that thing so when you're inside of a human meat suit with the evolutionary instincts of a human being and you've got a slot machine variable reward when you check twitter and sometimes you have those 10 new notifications and sometimes you don't it works on you whether you want it to or not so um you know but i do think there's ways subtle ways you can change this stuff you can turn off all notifications you can set your screen to grayscale which more and more people are doing which is cool to see and
0: wait explain this the grayscale thing for people that well so there's this thing where um
1: you know i think people underestimate the effect that color has on their brain um so you know the red color for notifications was chosen because it's a trigger color it's the same reason why mcdonald's is red and yellow um and stop signs are red and stop signs are red exactly So um, that activates our brain in a subtle way. And again, just like a banana and a chimpanzee, you don't get to choose whether it does, it just does. So what do you do? You can turn off notifications, remove all those red dots, but something else you can do is I think people don't realize that just by looking at your phone and seeing those colorful icons, it's lighting up some of your dopamine responses even if you don't do anything even if you just turn your phone over so if you set your phone to grayscale which you can do by going to general uh sorry settings general accessibility and then scroll all the way to the bottom to this thing called accessibility shortcut uh and uh and set it to grayscale um what that or does can, or you can just google that or you just google <laughs> that yeah which actually this has been a tip it's on uh humane tech.com um but we're not in the business of productivity tips for how to live better with your phone. That's not what this is about. But the the point is we have to change the whole stack. But because that's going to take longer, people need to understand how this is operating on them right now. And there's some things you can do, including turning off notifications, setting your phone to grayscale, which helps a lot of people use it a little bit less.
0: Do you think that um, as we look forward into the future and, you know, social media is a decade plus old, um, it is very, very, very young on the scale of all technologies that have been around. Do you think that um, AI is going to destroy society because it doesn't take a lot of people to build something that can go incredibly wrong? wrong? I think what's amazing about
1: this conversation is all the stuff about AI is the Terminator photos and what if in the future we have runaway AI that you hook it up to the stock market and it... Tries to make uses its advanced intelligence to make more money than all the humans because it, it can out compete them, and then it uses that money to try and figure out how it can reinvest into more computing infrastructure. So it then can build paperclips or maximize something in the world, and it starts maximizing, 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 and starts sucking in all the world's resources, every mineral, everything, kills all the humans, and it does this thing. And we always worry about what if that were to happen in the future. That's like the you know thing people worry about. What we miss is that we've already created a runaway AI. The Facebook newsfeed is a runaway AI. Every minute you spend on it, it's generating more money off of you. It's extracting attention from you and making money. And then it's trying to figure out how can it more hook you. So it tries to enslave the human beings with better, it reinvests the money that it makes into more prediction power to to better predict what will hook all these human animals that it's now hooked up to. And so it shows better and better things to them that keep them scrolling for longer and longer. So it makes even more money so it can predict even more moves ahead in the chessboard against the human beings that it's facing and better enslave them. And then it helps more and more advertisers do this in different countries and languages that the engineers don't even speak. And so we've already created this this Frankenstein that's run amok around the world, that's creating total havoc. And all Mark Zuckerberg has to do is flip off the switch. But of course he can't do that, which is the same thing we've said about runaway AI. We say, hey, look, in the future, if the AI is in a drone and it starts running around the world and killing people or something like that, at least what we know is we can pull the switch. But in the scenario is, is well, what happens if it can reach the switch before you can, and it stops you from doing it. In this case, we built this thing called a corporation in which we can't turn off the switch of a thing that's already run amok on society, not when the business model's working so well, not when there's $500 billion of market value that are tied up in it. And so Zuckerberg is sitting on top of this thing that he created, and it's a really hard position to be in. I mean, there's no human experience of that happening ever, ever in history, right? Like our evolutionary instincts didn't give us a way to build a thing that's making all that money for all these people supporting 50,000 people's well-being and kids going to school and people, employees at your company and a bunch of people's pensions and savings and
0: their stock price, and he can't shut the thing down. Do you think that if, if Zuck could shut the thing down, he would? Or do you think for him the challenge of, of, uh, of continuing to grow and being the biggest company on the planet is more important?
1: I'm really curious about his psychology.
0: Have you spoken to him since you started the
1: the group? Uh I've not spoken to him personally since I started the group. Okay. Although he did take uh our, okay. our 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 whole concept of time well spent and make it the new design goal for all of Facebook.
0: But in doing so co-opting it and not taking it seriously. Got it. Um and have you the people that you know cl- that are close to him do they tell you I mean do they think that he is riddled with guilt around what this thing became? Or is it just like, okay, well, this is just one of the things I have to deal with. You know, I think,
1: I think it's, you know, the Upton Sinclair line, which is that it's really hard to get people to question something, that their salary depends on them not questioning. And I think that he's somewhere in between from every signal I can tell. Everyone I know at Facebook is really willing to engage in a conversation about how they can make things better and they're eager for feedback, and they're really good people that are trying really hard. And I think it's worth celebrating the people who are working late hours and trying to make sure fewer elections are manipulated. But every change they're willing to make has to do with, you know, it's like the business model sitting over here in this corner, and they're sort of standing in front of the business model, the elephant in the room, and saying, what do you want us to change outside of changing the core problem?
0: Let me ask you a question. So let's just pretend for a minute that you uh, sold your company to Facebook years ago, and you worked your way up, and you, you you realize all these things that you're telling me today, and something happens. Zuckerberg quits and goes to live in the woods or something or is run over by a bus, and you are put in charge, and yeah. it's right now. Yep. Would you flip the switch?
1: Um, I would first start by making an honest apology. Um, I would say – I'm so sorry. I had no idea that this business model would cause these problems. I didn't see it at the time. But now that I do, let me tell you about our five-year plan, transition off of this pernicious business model. And just because just just in the same way that I've told Jim Zuckerberg that I'm giving away what, 95% of my wealth, 98% of my wealth to do philanthropic ventures in recognizing that this is actually the most short-term existential threat to society, I'm going to redirect all that money into basically buying off the difference between what it would cost us to transition from the old business model to a better one, and I'm going to pay for that transition plan because I know that that's I'm responsible for creating this thing. And if he really cared about doing the most good for the world, he would he would see this fundamental threat and and make that transition. Sounds insane, but I mean, I think that's where we are. We have to recognize we have created exponentially powerful systems that are exponentially non-accountable and are, and are fundamentally, not by accident, but in their design, are, you know, destroying the fabric
0: of society. All right. So if you had to fast forward 10 years or maybe five years, um, and you can, can you give us the best case scenario and the worst case scenario for how this plays out? Best case scenario
1: is... Like with cigarettes, we create a massive cultural awakening so that everyone is more skeptical of the existing social media products and don't want to use them as they have been designed and basically end up using their phones and social media a lot less, if at all, and recognize where they get lasting fulfillment, that when they have great dinner conversations with friends or they cook or they do whatever it is that they love doing, when they're doing the things that they love, they don't even feel the pull to check their phone. And that it's only in the moments of emptiness and anxiety that we even go for this anyway. And that we actually start steering people towards uh, those choices. So in my vision, the whole point of what we're doing with the Center for Humane Technology is saying there's actually a different way to design business models, products, the actual product design, um, and organizational cultures that basically help people make these cho- these choices in their lives that they themselves find lasting and sustainable and enriching to the fabric of society. And that when, in other words, think of this this rectangle in this pocket. So I think we're still going to have a rectangle about the size of a phone in our pockets. You do? I think that we will, yeah. I don't think we're going to read text on um, you know,
0: contact but, lenses but and isn't, look like zombies. I don't. Isn't part of what we kind of envision the future to be, a lot like the movie Her, where we talk to things and they talk to us, and rather than us constantly staring down at this stupid rectangle? Yeah, I think in the
1: long, long, long run, I mean, I think it's very hard to build things that are totally audio interfaces that summarize and can do full conversation. Yeah. Um, so I just think that we're going to have this form factor of a rectangle in our pockets for a long time. And I think even in the movie Her, he has a, a rectangle in his pocket. He's
0: a re- but it doesn't interact with the rectangle too much. Correct. And
1: I think that's actually a good thing. I think we're going to need conversational interfaces. And the reason we need conversational interfaces is that we um, think and choose very differently when we're in a conversation than when we're interacting with two-dimensional animating screens. Um, It actually interacts, it it produces totally different or asks of us totally different um, parts. It recruits totally different parts of our minds to be interacting in those two different ways. Um, But the point is that there is a way in which technology should be a GPS for our lives and help us to make choices. So right now, like my job at Google was there's this two billion person ant colony called humanity, and it's going around and you can see it from like this overview effect. You can see what it's doing. And then you suddenly imagine, what if I give every single one of those ants, every single one of those humans, a smartphone as they exist today (laughs) in social media casinos? And they start going crazy. They're lonely. They're depressed. They're comparing themselves all the time. They're hooked. The ant colony does a totally different set of behaviors. And so the design ethicist role was like, how do you ethically steer an entire 2 billion person ant colony of people's thoughts and the choices they make and the relationships they have? And the point is that there is a different way to give people a rectangle in their pocket that helps them make lasting life choices that that do not produce these bad externalities that that sort of hollow out the fabric of society.
0: Why did you leave Google then if you could have affected that
1: ant colony? Um because we needed to create the public conversation first. As I mentioned before, I tried to get Android and Chrome to change some of the ways they did the, you know, the the design and and, and try and emphasize some of these principles. Um and I think there's very good people there too, but there wasn't enough of an understanding. This was a serious threat. And so I left to you know, do the TED talks in 60 minutes and try to raise awareness slowly, but surely. And here's the thing, as much as this sounds like a, a really scary sort of world that we're in, and that it's really kind of depressing, you know, because I feel that way too. But if you actually look back a year ago, I mean, honestly, one year ago, like no one was talking about this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I was actually talking about it, but yeah, no I mean, one was listening. You, to so me. listen, you, you and I were, <laughs> you and I were both, into, I mean, look, you and I are both had this background in the attention
1: economy, understanding how the game works. But, you know, We couldn't get the whole world to understand and care about this, right? And, you know, I will say, I mean, a year ago was 60 Minutes. We just passed the anniversary like a year and two weeks ago. Back when I did 60 Minutes, I would have, if you told me that a year later, Zuckerberg would be testifying before Congress, Cambridge Analytica and persuasion and manipulation would be front page headlines around the whole world. And every single day, this would be like one of the most talked about issues in the world. And we'd be talking about regulating tech companies. I would have never believed you. I mean, we have made enormous progress
0: on this in the last year. All right, so you gave me the best case scenario for five, ten years out. What's the worst case scenario? Um, or a or a bad scenario? Let's. We don't have to go all the way to like robots are controlling society. No, I think I think it's where we are right now is bad enough in and of itself. Where we're headed, it's like.
1: But if we don't fix this, it's going to get worse. What is worse? What is worse? What's worse is. Um, Anytime you look at technology, you will have the experience of less and less freedom, meaning you will feel more and more pulled to do things that you are not aware you are being pulled to do. We will manipulate and uproot children's sense of self-worth more and more effectively. Um, and and further hinder their development and screw with their, their impulse control systems starting from a very early age. We've never before, by the way, given kids this frequent a level of social validation occurring every 10 seconds with little drips of new likes. We've never done that to human animals in all human history. And I think generationally, we can't afford the cost of that generation growing up that way. Um, so, you know, we'll live in a world where we don't agree on what's true. Um, we... Uh, feel like less and less ability to sustain our attention on anything, whether that's let's think about how we're going to solve climate change, let's think about how we're going to solve inequality, two of the most important problems in the world right now. We, we, we are not going to be able to think about or agree on anything, and we're going to feel more and more helpless and more and more distracted, amusing ourselves to death, as Brave New World, Aldous Huxley predicted, you know, many, many years ago. And that's where we're headed unless we change it, which is why, again, because
0: no one wants to live in that world, We have to change it, and we can. So what are some of the things that you have done in your own life? I mean, I'm I'm sitting here. I still see you have a laptop and a smartphone and a wireless mouse. And I mean, it seems that I see a a paper notebook too. But what are things that you have done that have changed as a result of the, the work you've been doing?
1: Well, you know, one of the reasons I started working on this is I personally struggle with this stuff. Um I think I imagine you do too. I mean it's like when you use this stuff and you live in it, it starts screwing with your brain. I mean mm-hmm. I have a very hard time reading books that I want to read um and having the kind of focus I used to have. Um but I I have it has gotten better and I think um you know turning off notifications helps a ton. Um, I've um
0: I I've full screening apps on desktop helps a ton. Go on. I um I I got rid of a lot of apps on my phone, but I uh, I did the whole thing, you know, turned off notifications, this, that and the other. Uh, but I, one of the things that I found is I remember years ago, I was speaking to a, a brain psychologist about um, repetition on devices and, and with anything. And, and and one of the things that people do, I'm sure anyone has uh, listening and you and I have both done this, you'll be in internet, let's say you're in Twitter and you're like, oh, I got to get out of Twitter and you close it and you instinctively, the next thing you do is open Twitter right in that second again, yep. because it becomes habit. exactly um, And so yep. not only did I get rid of all those apps on my phone, which I think is, Quite possibly the best thing I've done since getting the right. smartphone, but I also, in the place that they were, I put like the Kindle app and sure. the Audible app and things like that, and so now I'm creating this new well, experience and, and, of. And this is what humane design is all about. We have this image on our, our website, which is, um, you know, showing human evolution
1: from you know monkeys all the way up to Neanderthals to humans standing up, and then the question is, what happens after the human? And the next one is a human being that's bigger and turns around and looks back at their evolutionary instincts. In other words, the right way to design technology is actually by understanding that we have evolutionary instincts for habit formation. That's a vulnerability. And in fact, at the Persuasive Technology Lab, where I learned half this, this, these techniques and how this stuff works, the deliberate goal is how do you implant a habit in the human animal that you are dealing with and use slot machines and other type rewards to do that. And so the premise of humane design is saying, knowing that that is a vulnerability of a human being, you know, just like I was a magician as a kid, like knowing that human minds have these vulnerabilities instead of, you know, ripping the door off and letting anybody exploit them, which is what Apple and Google allow for today. We basically say, how do we help you extinguish the habits you don't want? And how do we help you have the habits you do want? And Apple, by the way, could actually have that built into the phone saying once a month, like here's basically the behaviors I see you having with me, the phone. And which of these do you want? And which ones do you want to extinguish? And let me help you extinguish the ones you don't want and help you have the ones you do want. Will Apple ever do that? I think our point is that we
0: have to push them to do that. And we can do that. So last few questions here before we wrap up. Um, why is there no, in the same way that there is a third way with a lot of things, why is there no third company? Why is there no uh, tech company in Silicon Valley that is making a or made a phone that just has a camera or you know doesn't allow you to be on social media doesn't even have notifications you know well there are actually there are a couple efforts
1: um and they deserve more attention because per your point it's very hard when the monopolies and the patents are all owned by these like two major tech companies mm. and there's oem deals with manufacturers and it's really constrained space it doesn't make it easy to start a new phone company these days um but there's something called Ciempo for Android, which is an alternative home screen. That How do you spell that? S-Y- sorry, S-I-E-M-P-O, Siempo. Uh-huh. And they're an alternative home screen that actually uses a bunch of our design principles. It's awesome. They they make your screen black, uh, gray scale or black and white by default. They decolorize your icons. They batch and digest notifications, so you get all your notifications in one batch digest at the end of the day. Um, they uh, have you in type in your intention when you start the day. They. What do you mean um, type in your intention? Like... I think like the thing that you want to get done today or Got something it. like that. Yeah. There's a bunch of things that they implement and that helps people a lot. Like people are saying this is like their life is a lot better with it. Uh, there's an app called Moment that people can install on the iPhone, which tracks how much time you spend in every app. Um, that's helped people a little bit. Um, there are uh, – what was I going to – I was thinking of another example for Android. Um, oh, there's something called Lightphone, Phone, which is a – Yeah, the yeah, Light Phone The Light Phone. Yeah, and it makes, makes phone calls and lets you order Ubers and it's just have the core features and it takes off all the rest. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is a solvable problem. You know, it's not like we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is not an anti-technology conversation. It's a humane technology conversation.
0: All right. So uh, you're going around Silicon Valley and you're espousing all these things. And I used to live in Silicon Valley and uh, had some some difficult and uncomfortable conversations with people there. Uh, Are you kind of a pariah now there? Like, do you walk into a restaurant sometimes and everyone just leaves and you're kind of left alone? Well, the interesting thing is I don't think anything I'm saying is an
1: opinion. What I mean by that is I'm just revealing logical facts. You know, are these companies locked in a race to get attention? Yes. Do they have to start doing features like autoplay YouTube videos and slot machine rewards to get people to use the products? Yes. These are not opinions. These are facts. And so I think people, you know, I've been reached out to by thousands and thousands of engineers and designers saying thank you for speaking up and telling the truth. Um, I think actually everybody wants to live in the world that we're talking about. We just actually have to pave the way to get there. Um, and that's a hard thing. It's a long thing. But, um, you know, I think in a way people are waking up to how serious the problem is and they want to help. We just had Chris Hughes, the third co founder of Facebook, uh, publicly endorse and support our work um, at the center. So, you know, I think this thing really is turning.
0: Cool. So, uh, uh, where can people find out about more? Well, of course, they should what? follow me on Twitter. Follow you. No, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap. Uh, no, um, like me on Instagram. Retweet my tweets. Oh my
1: gosh. No, please. Uh, I mean, we have, go to humane tech.com where it talks more about the problem and some of the things you can do right now to take control. Uh, and get involved um, you know we're trying to find more ways to bring people together who want to get activated on these issues and, and really help but you know we're working on the policy side public awareness side and
0: working with the companies where where it's helpful so, do you think you'll ever kind of try to run for office or anything like that to try to have an an effect on this stuff
1: I uh, hadn't thought about that, but I do think that this will increasingly become a political issue, um, especially when it affects children and actually makes it, you know, the joke is that Facebook does bring the world closer together because both sides actually are concerned about how it affects children and uh, uh, in general it has too much power. So I think there's other politicians who are going to be making it a political uh, campaign issue. Uh, I think it should be. I never thought about political office.
0: You should run. You should run for... Uh... Uh, for office. And you can use Facebook to manipulate everyone to vote for you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll just tap my friends at Facebook on the shoulder to make them tilt the scales in my direction. How would we ever know? Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat. This has been a fascinating conversation and uh, I'm now going to go turn my phone into grayscale and see what happens. Let's see what happens. Thanks for having me thanks to my guest today Tristan Harris if you enjoyed this conversation be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton and don't forget to leave the greatest review in history while you're there thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work my editors at Vanity Fair you the listener and of course thank you to my sponsor Mattress Firm please support them the same way you support this podcast I will see you all next week